Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight, I am drinking a um, beverage called the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Uh, it's a it's a recipe from the uh, Death & Company book, and it involves uh, both uh, tequila and slow gin, which is a very unusual combination. Um, and it has the words electric and test in it. So, you know, uh, that, that's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty close. How about pretty you? Good. I have a smokestack lightning. Oh, what is that? It uh, is a tequila as well, but it has a whiskey in it. I think that's the smokestack part. Oh, and, an Isla? Uh, yeah, and, uh, and some uh, lime. So it's basically a, a margarita, but it has a whiskey in it, sort of a mezcal sort of smokiness. So. Oh, sound, but it has the word like lightning like in it. Yeah. yeah it has, so <laughs> what are we talking about tonight? Well, we're just going to talk over ourselves for 45 minutes, and then we'll, uh, we'll upload this. How's that sound? Fix it in post. <laughs> So yeah, we uh, as as you uh, teased out on social media this weekend, uh, we went and test drove one of the first bolts to arrive in uh, the Bay Area here at the uh, uh, one of the Chevy dealers here in Silicon Valley, uh, and there was a long line of people. We had to uh, Caleb, you had made an appointment uh, mm-hmm. well in advance, and then we still had to wait uh, forty five fifty minutes uh, as there was just a constant procession of people uh to test drive this little vehicle yeah i uh i called ahead um the previous weekend and and i had been watching their website to see if they had any bolts in stock uh the chevrolet bolt and a few week, weeks ago they didn't have anything and then after the holidays they seemed to have some on their website and had the vin numbers and everything so i was figuring they must have them on on the lot so i picked up the phone and and called them and Initially, I was routed to service, and then I got rerouted to sales, and uh, so they eventually found out, yes, we do have a test drive, but um, they're really busy uh, for the Bolt, so you need to make an appointment. So I made an appointment for 11 a.m. for us, and we showed up uh, right on ele- at 11 a.m., and we, yeah, sort of fond- wandered around the, uh, the showroom a little bit uh, for our, our um, test drive uh, salesman to come over, and then we found out that the Chevy Bolt was already out on a test drive. So we put our name on a paper list some in, inside, and then we, uh, the guy was nice enough to take us over to some of the bolts that were on the lot. And they had maybe four or five, it seemed like, on the lot, and most of them were pre-sold. He kept telling us most of them were sold, but he had three he could sell us if we wanted to buy one. <laughs> and uh, so we got to sort of play around with some uh, you know, stationary, I guess, before we actually went out uh, and drove it. So even though we were waiting around a little while, um, we got to play with the car for, for quite a bit and got to get inside uh, a different one. Um, yeah, if you're, looking at the, if you're looking at the photos that uh, we'll be posting later, the white one was the stationary one that we were playing around with, and then the black one was the one that we test drove. Yeah, so um, speaking about the stationary part, not the actual test drive, what, were, what was your impression of seeing the car in person? Um, I... You know, it was uh, my impression, my first impressions and my driving impressions all seemed to be summed up with uh, better than expected. Like, I, I think the I mean, the design is um, I'm I'm a hatchback driver. I like small city vehicles that are easy to maneuver, have a tight turning radius, can carry cargo. So it's um, it's in my wheelhouse um, for vehicles that I would purchase and use. Uh, I like the utility of them and the ease of use in dense environments. Um, so that, I mean, and if if you're more of a sort of F-150 pickup truck person, it's probably going to seem like a ridiculous vehicle. 
Um, but you know, for me coming from that angle, um, I was, you know, I, it was fine. It wasn't as like tarted up as some of the electric vehicles are. It still had some, uh, especially like a really, really ugly emblem, uh, connecting the headlight to the, uh, sort of a panel, um, that says like bolt EV. Um, but anyways, uh, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, I think, uh, for, for a Chevy vehicle, uh, for a compact, uh, vehicle like that, you know, it was, it looked good. I mean, it looked, it looked better than expected. How about you? Yeah, I had, I mean, I had seen photos of it, um, before I saw it and I kind of, I mean, I knew what I was expecting, um, in this sort of hatchback, uh, compact shape. So, um, I guess I was familiar with what I was going to see. I do think that the photos don't do it justice. I think it has a better presence in person than photos give it credit for because it's really hard to capture the full shape of the car in a, in a photo. Um, and I guess this is a true of, of most vehicles they are pretty difficult to photograph. So I think it was, maybe this goes to what you're saying, but I think it was, there's like the spark EV, which is, and, and some of the American car companies have been doing really, really like narrow wheelbase, tall, compact vehicles that have terrible handling. And they're just like stressful to drive. If you ever get one as a rental vehicle, you kind of feel, uh, unsafe as you're hurtling down the highway in these vehicles uh, but the bolt was more of like uh, like i drive a, a german hatchback and it has like a wide wheelbase and it just feels more solid um mm-hmm. than than some of these like kind of narrow taller vehicles and the, the bolt was like that it kind of it had a wide wheelbase it had low overhang in the front and back like the wheels were pushed all the way to the corners almost like a, a jeep wrangler or something like the wheels were just completely in the corners um, and, and yeah, so I think that that kind of changes the presence of the vehicle. It doesn't seem as, it seems a little sportier, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the other thing that was interesting is that the rear like passenger compartment looks elevated. So it has this like swooping upwards from the front to the back and you know, stadium, a, it has stadium seating. Yeah, it did. You, you noted that I remember when you yeah. first looked at it and the, so the, it, it, um, it looks like the back of a of a different type of vehicle um it would so make it pulls your eye to the back upwards so um it'll make a de- decent uh, uber uh, or lyft driver vehicle i mean if, if you can get over the the range because it was comfortable in the back and you're kind of sat elevated it was it was kind of nice yeah so i think the styling was nice i thought the wheels in particular i kept mentioning they're really nice they're sort of at least on one of the the higher end trim level um really generally pretty nice wheels solid aluminum wheels yeah, they didn't do any steel wheels with ugly hubcaps. Yeah, and uh, the black color, I think we both liked more primarily because it had less of the two-tone colors going on. So it, ha- it does have that electric car um, plastic running through it, and it doesn't have much, as much blue as a lot of the vehicles that seem to be electric cars, but it does have accents. So in, in the white vehicle, you can see that there's like, um, black plastic in the in sort of the greenhouse the glass com- area um which definitely breaks up the look quite a bit um i don't understand yeah. why like it seems like a lot of vehicles in the like this model year and and maybe the one or two years previous like lexuses you'll notice this like the prius has been redesigned where there's almost this like no matter what the color of the vehicle there's a continual line design element that goes from the headlights and traces all the way up through the passenger windows on the side of the vehicle and then connects the 
rear of the back window uh, to the back of the vehicle uh, where the tail is. And there's like this one consecutive black line that apparently all auto designers, like maybe there's a Slack channel that they're all on or something. And they've, they've all decided to start doing this for the past couple of years. And it's, it's, I think it's hideous, um, but it's, it's, and then it's, you know, all the more awful with the kind of futuristic tryings of the uh, electric vehicle. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's wasn't our cup of tea. Yeah. And yeah. But the nice thing is that it's, it's on every single vehicle, it's black plastic. So on the black vehicle, it kind of all blended together. Yeah, I thought the black one looked particularly um, sharp. And also, black hides a lot of the body line, so it just sort of fades and looks pretty pretty normal. Similar um, to how the, the black uh, BMW i3 is probably the most decent-looking one of there because all of their accents are black as well, and it, it just all blends it together instead of looking Franken-car. Yeah, I would say that it, it looked more i3-ish in person than I had uh, envision, envisioned. And not it's sort of the, from the front, it doesn't, but from the side, like the side profile um, looks pretty similar and it looks modern. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't look like a squished uh, like Chevy, like old Chevy of the early 2000s or something like it. Right. It has a very modern take. The windows are are mm, unique polygon shapes <laughs> they're not just standard uh, rectangular sort of windows they've got lots of cuts um there's more chrome than i would like but I, apparently a lot of people like chrome and see that as a uh, premium component of vehicle <laughs> styling so just means you have to pay to get a detailer to put vinyl all over it yeah to black it out um i thought it, it kind of looked ahead. i was i was just gonna say um talking about your your design cue um angle is i thought it looked like kind of a combination between an i3 and a honda fit yeah like the modern honda fit not the older like square one um yeah and i i thought that's kind of exactly what it looked if you took those two things and kind of jammed them together it kind of looked like that the front uh was interesting uh and disappointing <laughs> in that the grill is uh skeuomorphic uh it and it's not even textured so the if you're looking at the front fascia uh there is a chevy emblem which is too large it sounds like someone's like make the logo bigger um, <laughs> you, you know someone said that yes and uh so it's pretty large and so the 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 look of that grill that's supposed to mimic uh i guess sort of a textured plastic or textured metal for the intake yeah they have on some of the chevys like did you notice on the lot the the volt that was next to it and i think um maybe the camaro or they have this like it, it's like a piece of steel and it's mm. got these like um, it almost looks kind of like a riff on the diamond plate that you might walk on. Yep. Um, but it, they're like kind of these like angles that are kind of cut into it. And it's, I don't know, it's supposed to look like a textured metal. I mean, maybe it is on some of the vehicles, but in this case, it was a facsimile of that textured metal grill that they have on some of their vehicles. Well, and the crazy thing is I ran my hand across it and it's just a decal. I mean, it's not, it's yeah. not even textured. So it's not even to the place where sort of the Tesla was of putting a nose cone on, but at least a nose cone was just an honest black piece of plastic. This is not just a piece of plastic, but it, it's textured to look like the design language of their other vehicles. And then the sub grill for the other air intake has the same same treatment. So that I just felt like, uh, that's disappointing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that just, was <laughs> just figure out how to make that a solid thing. It doesn't it doesn't need to look like your other cars and be fake. It was just odd. Yeah. Not well, you know, it is a, a sort of first version too. And maybe those are the kind of things that would get 
refined out. But I mean, generally speaking, that's the kind of thing that um, I would worry about with a, with purchasing a car from an American. It had a Pontiac look to it. That's kind of what I thought. It was like trying to look futuristic, but ended up looking plasticky. So it was a pretty bright day out and we were walking around the car and we were the one we were looking at the most was this white one. And so we noticed a lot of these little black dots all over it. And upon closer inspection, there were cameras. And this thing was loaded with cameras. I had no idea how many cameras this thing had. I don't know if you did a count, but it seemed like... Yeah, it had two in the front, two in the back, and one on each mirror. Yeah, so yeah, six. Yeah, you got good photos of them. And I was really impressed with how many cameras were on the vehicle. And the placement of them was good. Um, and they, we'll talk about in the actual test drive component, how they, how they all sort of worked. But the one that was most curious, and we spent a little bit of time talking about on when we were there was actually the front camera in the grill, in the sort of the secondary grill where the front license plate above the front license plate, um, that seems like a place that's going to get really dirty. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. And it seemed duplicative too, of there's one facing forward facing kind of where Tesla has it, um, like where the rear view mirror is in the center of the windshield. Right. Which yeah, is they a had lot a more very, protected. Yeah, they had a very similar sort of mount uh, right in the uh, rear view mirror component facing forward. Um, so that looked very similar to the Tesla. And then... I don't, we didn't get any clarity as to what that one down by the license plate was doing, though, did we? Uh, no, we, so they, we didn't, we didn't get clarity on that one. I think that one must be for the forward parking, um, oh. because they do, they did have a way to switch the camera from the rear to the front for parallel parking type maneuvers. So that's my bet what that one is for. And that the one that's safe, safely behind the windshield wipers is the one that they use for some of their active safety, um, gotcha. features. That's probably a good guess. Um, and then the rear view mirrors had some tucked underneath, um, yeah, sort of actually underneath the, uh, the bottom of the uh, rear view mirror. So that was, was really hidden, um. And then the rear had two, and I, we're guessing that one was for the backup camera, and then one would be for the uh, rear, um, rear, they have this sort of rear motion detection. So if you're like backing up from, uh, backing out of a spot or something like that, uh, rear, rear traffic awareness, uh, some, some name they have for it. Oh, uh, I think that was the, so I think the, the two cameras were, one of them was clearly pointed down a little more and that's the one that's used when you're backing up to show the the backup camera with the sort of line that lines that show you where you're going yeah um and then the other one was for the uh rear view mirror oh right yeah yeah it had a a wide angle which yeah we can i mean i guess we can jump into that now too um he had showed us our, our salesman had kind of shown us that and as we were looking at it it seemed like a real gimmicky sort of thing where the the rear view mirror in the center of the windshield was reflective like a mirror, but you could kind of see if you looked real close, and you can kind of see it in one of the photos if you look close. There's like a maybe a half a centimeter of bezel around where you can see through, and then it's there's like a LCD screen. So basically, it's a reflective surface, kind of like if you have an iMac, basically where you, if you shut off your computer, it's reflective and it's almost like a mirror. But then when you turn your computer on, uh, the screen comes through. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, anyways, it it has a rear rear facing camera which seemed gimmicky when when we were sitting there but in practice um which maybe we can get into uh, later when we talk about our actual driving experience ended up being really quite useful yeah absolutely and so some of the other sensors they definitely had some sonar uh, so, yeah some ultrasonics around yeah they the had the warts on the on the back bumper. yeah we got a photo of one of those and then i did confirm we weren't sure but it does have a forward radar 
Um, so it does have radar in conjunction with the camera for its sort of forward um, low speed stopping safety and it had, feature. It had collision avoidance too, right? Uh, it, ha- it, it doesn't have much active. Um, it has forward collision alert. Okay, right. If you're at high speed. Because it had a really, the button for it is on the steering wheel. And it's a little disturbing because it's actually showing you like what looks like a bumper to bumper car crash. (laughs) And that's the icon for (laughs) collision avoidance is like the picture of a collision that you're going to be looking at as you're driving around, which I thought was a little bit weird. Yeah. So moving to the interior, uh, we saw two, they had two trim levels or two core trim levels. One trim level has cloth seats. And similar to the i3, the BMW i3, um, they're multi-pattern. So there's sort of one where it's a gray outline with a lighter color interior section and then reversed. And I thought that was pretty smart looking. Um, the fabric was um, more modern-esque, uh, lower pile <laughs> than a lot of, you know, sort of faux velvety cloth seats you might be used to. Um, so I thought that the cloth material actually looked pretty, pretty sharp. And then they had a leather option as well, which had a sort of orange piping, which I guess is supposed to jazz it up a little bit. Um, oh, like, yeah, it had contrast stitching. Yeah. Right? Contrast yeah. sort of orange piping on the, on that. And, um, and so we were sort of in a, I, I mean, the one we were in was a light interior, um, semi light. It was like the white edging and dark center where your butt goes kind of panels, uh, and dark carpeting and um, dark side panels. So um, the interior, I mean, I would say overall, the seats were plenty comfortable. I, uh, I didn't notice them when I was sitting in them. So they weren't bad or particularly plush. Um, I didn't have any problems with them from a general, like we had maybe a 30 minute test drive. I sat in the back as well and plenty of leg room for, for me at 510 height. Um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I think that comfort of the seats was pretty good. I feel like one of the really big benefits for the rear seat was that it's totally flat. Uh, so there's no hump, obviously, for the transmission in that center seat. So in most cars, you know, in the, that sort of third middle seat that no one really wants to sit in as an adult because <laughs> your legs have to straddle the transmission going back. Uh, that wasn't there. So you can sit flat. Um and there was pretty good leg room. Um, so I was pl- relatively comfortable in the car. And, and when we were inside, it sort of was a little bit TARDIS-like. It sort of was felt bigger <laughs> inside than I was expecting. So that was pleasant. Uh, and I think a lot of the glass helped with that. It was very open feeling, uh, even though there wasn't uh, I I don't remember there being a sunroof. So it didn't. No, didn't, there wasn't. Yeah, it didn't stick out. What were your impressions of the uh interior yeah i mean i I would echo a lot of that i thought the interior was it was more spacious than i was expecting it was very comfortable um it the trim was was certainly better than a lot of the chevy vehicles i've rented uh, which is usually most of my experience in uh chevrolet vehicles is is i get like a malibu or a cruise or whatever when i'm renting a a vehicle somewhere um, and it was better than that, but I still have concerns about the quality of the plastics and the, mm-hmm. the, some of the, some of the design decisions are a little odd. Um, and yeah, I, maybe, I don't know if that's just taste or, or if there is some sort of more objective, uh, badness to them. Um, I thought the, the, I, I think you had pointed out like the, some of the white areas on the dashboard had this like kind of tessellation going on where all these, yeah. like, it was like, when you look close, there was like a triangle pattern. Um, stuck in there, which, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. I, I didn't really have a, a, a opinion one way or another on that. Um, 
I thought the um, well, I guess we'll I'll skip the screen sizes. Um, yeah, the other interesting thing was that the the seats were all manual, no matter what the trim level was. There was no possibility for um, electric seating of any sort. Um, which I mean, you know, maybe it's to I imagine that probably saves a lot of weight. Um, from that and, and manual and seats cost. Are, yeah, yeah, and cost. And you know, manual seats are, are what I currently have, so I'm used to it. But having um, having a, a spouse with a significant height difference, um, definitely I see the value in having a, a car that can remember settings. That's that's very handy. Yeah, for sure. And I, um, yeah, the, the manual part of the seats, I feel like at this price point, it's, it, this car is more expensive than any of their sedans in their non-performance lineup. So that's, I think that's challenging. Uh, I, I think it's going to be unlikely that the Model 3 doesn't have power seats. Um, <laughs> it had, I mean, it did have power windows. It had yeah. um, power locks, obviously. Um, and um, keyless entry. Keyless entry. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that we, there was a lot of uh, back and forth on the keyless component of it. And we'll start to get into some of the UI stuff. But um, the... There was the, the salesperson spent a lot of time talking about the benefits of the keyless and you can get in and get out and forget your key inside. And I think oh, that must wouldn't be a let feature. you lock yourself in. Right. That was yeah. his thing. Yeah. It, there must be a, that must be a general thing with the Chevys is that I, I would bet that must be a shared component of all their keyless because he knew a lot about that um, and talked about it a lot. Uh, the the steering wheel had a lot of buttons on it. Yes. Um, front and back. Yeah, it had a lot, and it was a leather-wrapped steering wheel, so it was fine, plenty comfortable. Uh, it had telescope um, and uh, and height, so... It was, it was a little small, I thought, for, for a steering wheel. I don't know, maybe that was just me, but... Well, I, I thought it was interesting that it really, it kind of clipped the uh, the view of the um, binnacle, the front binnacle, so yes. I couldn't, because I, when I got back in my other car, after we finished the test drive, I was like, nope, this, this steering wheel is correctly designed for <laughs> this front binnacle. It can see everything in the standard sort of front position, you know, non-turning position. And I noticed it when I was driving that it was sort of clipping uh, a little bit from my visibility of the front. So that just seemed not quite well-mated. And yeah, so there were a lot of buttons um, and they... Uh, a fair number of icons in there, and and obviously you'll get used to the the buttons on your steering wheel, and that, they had up and down, and they. But the weird thing was that they had these paddles, one on the front or one on the right, one on the left, and they're not they're not shifters. Um, right. Well, I mean they they're paddle shifters, but they're not for shifting. Right. Yeah. So they they've stolen that mechanic, and they don't behave as you'd expect. So the left hand one is their regenerative braking. So it's sort of a handbrake in a very literal sense. Um, and, uh, basically as you're driving, rather than, uh, use your foot to brake, you can pull on this lever, this sort of uh, shifter type thing, and it will activate the regenerative braking and send electricity back into the, into the battery and slow you down. How did you like that when, when we were driving around? So I, I, someone asked about that on Twitter and I, I mentioned it worked, but it wasn't. It didn't feel as strong to me as when we were in the low mode, uh, and I just took my foot off the accelerator. So it didn't. I I wasn't able to use it in a way that I felt like it was that useful to me. But obviously, we only had. I had 15 minutes behind the wheel, and I think you had a similar amount. So um, I, I can't give a definitive point of view, but it. I couldn't get it to do too much more than using my foot. So I just didn't want to try and use, like using both at the same time was sort of weird, like lifting my foot off the accelerator and using that. But 
Right. I thought it was what what I thought it was sort of a failure for me from a interface perspective was that as a um, using it to shift up and down like the paddle shifters, it's a momentary interaction. So you just tap it and it's very quick. So it doesn't really matter. Um, your hands are still on the wheel most of the time and you're just tapping that thing. But I found with the paddle regenerative braking, it was really awkward because you have to pull it and hold it. To, mm. to keep braking but as soon as i pulled it and hold it then i started like turning the wheel because you're still steering the vehicle which then caused my hand to come off of that paddle and i thought that was a really weird way of doing it. you almost have to completely take your left hand off of the steering wheel and pull the paddle and just steer with your right hand to do it because you still need to actually steer the vehicle and did you notice if it was binary or if it was actually a sort of amount of travel? Um, I can't. I can't remember back to whether or not it had. I don't degrees. think I got, Yeah, I don't think I got any feedback from it. I think it was it was binary on or off. But I, I I could be wrong. Mostly, I was noticing that the steering wheel was pulling my hand off of it, so it was difficult to notice uh, travel in the other direction. Yeah. So the other thing that is somewhat special about the Bolt is that it has two drive modes. Um, one which is a imitating a standard automatic transmission where you step on the accelerator and it goes and if you let off the accelerator it slows down but it's sort of coasting um, and you would use the brake if you want to come to a, a stop quickly right well that's and, that's the automatic transmission yeah exactly but it, but i mean obviously that's software because right, right it's right. yeah and and then also from a stop it will creep forward oh gotcha. and, you said standard i thought you meant like standard meaning like manual transmission oh sorry yeah uh mimicking the uh, behavior of an automatic transmission as standard in right or, or an, a manual transmission where you just have the clutch engaged where you're just yeah. gonna coast you're gonna roll yeah so then they have another mode which you engage it's called l uh, which also seemed like a bit of a mind bender because L tends to be low gear, which is not something you'd ever want to use at high speed. I asked, yeah, I asked the guy that too, and he he didn't really have a good answer. It almost seemed as though, hey, we already have some transmission elements that have a D and an L, so we're just going to use that, even though it doesn't make sense. It didn't make any sense, and it didn't make any. It's not even obvious that that's a mode you'd want to be in. Um, and I also don't. I, I I'm pretty sure I remember that the D and the R are stickers or embedded as paint in the uh, transmission section uh, because I didn't see L. And then L seemed to be a LCD when the car was on, the L oh, presented I itself. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was true. So they could, it, it sounds like maybe the L could have been something else. But anyways, yeah, so you, you move into L, and then L is sort of imitating the strongest components of an EV. And our salesperson sort of said, if you're an EV enthusiast, you'll probably want to use the L mode. And, uh, and so essentially it means that you will not accelerate from a dead stop. You have to actively press the accelerator. And as soon as you let up on the accelerator, it will start doing regenerative braking at a pretty intense amount. Yeah. You and could almost will, do like single pedal driving. It was, it was yeah, so intense. It will bring you to a complete stop if you let off of the accelerator. And what caught me was uh, when I was driving and I put it into L, I sort of let up on the accelerator. I was still I was still accelerating. I didn't have zero pressure on the pedal and it started slowing down pretty aggressively. So yeah, it was definitely single pedal driving kind of uh, situation. And I found it interesting or useful when I was going into turns because uh, you can sort of just let up on the accelerator a little bit. It'll slow down as you're entering the turn and then you can sort of 
pop out of it. So I think I would probably use that mode. And they claim, after looking at some of the Chevy materials, 5 to 10% more range if you use that mode um, because it will capture more of the energy instead of just letting that go as waste um, sort of coasting. What did you think of the, the L? Which, which one would you be driving in the stand? The, the regular D mode or L mode? <laughs> I mean, the L was more familiar to me because I drive a manual transmission car when I, on the rare, once a fortnight when I do drive. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a little more familiar. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it might've been a little bit aggressive. I think it's one of those things where you would kind of get accustomed to one of them. It was a little hard to tell with the limited amount of time we had uh, because I think having your, I mean, having a single pedal and just kind of controlling how much, how far you're pressing it or how much pressure you're putting controls the speed of the vehicle in, in either direction is kind of interesting. Um, and I could see maybe getting used to that, um, but it was kind of hard to tell with the limited amount of time. Yeah, because Tesla has a feature for creep or not. Um, so you can turn that on or off as a feature. And then you also in a Tesla have the option for different levels of regenerative braking. So in the, in the Chevy Bolt, you have two standard default options presented by the manufacturer. In the Tesla, you have, you know, four times two combinations uh, that you could set as your default. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that you would sort of choose one that you normally use. One thing that I found particularly frustrating, and I think you did too, was the shifter was uh, electronic. And so it didn't have a ton of it, I mean, it didn't have any feel or any real like position. It was sort of right. a joystick. Yeah. So that was frustrating. And then it had a button on the side that you had to push. How many, how many times did you have to help me with that? I, I had to help you a lot. I could not get it through my head. <laughs> you were So Mike turns on, we, we switched, and Mike was the first one to drive, but apparently the, we had to be driven off the lot by the salesperson, which I had never experienced, but whatever. It's a, I guess that's an element we missed in our weird dealership laws yeah. episode. Some insurance thing, he said. Anyways, he took us to some parking lot and uh, he did a little bit of demo and then we got in. And so you took, you were going to drive first. So then I got into the shotgun passenger seat and you pushed the power to start it. And first you didn't know, you pushed the button and nothing happened. And then I said, put your foot on the brake. <laughs> so then you put your foot on the brake and then it started up. And it has a, a pretty flourishy startup phase sequence. It's like, and all these little yeah, things dash like across a, the screen it was a splash screen and yeah it was it was a, anything plus computer equals computer right? it had a, it had a, it had a little thing it did um and then you you take the joystick and you push it and so it does what it's supposed to do from a from a physicality point of view but it doesn't actually engage and then you're like what's what's going on i'm like push the button and you're like what buttons i'm pushing pedals i'm pushing buttons nothing is working yeah so yeah there's this little um Almost like a uh, fighter pilot kind of like button you might imagine. I don't know. Like a, like, it was like a safety almost. It was yeah. A, a I think it is thumb. a safety. It was a thumb on your thumb. If you're if you're resting your right hand on it, like it was a thumb button that you needed to to press. And so as I thought about it more today, a day afterwards, I'm realizing that that actually must be a safety. That if you were to bump that with your arm, you could change gears. And because it's an electronic shifter, it would probably shift gears instantly. Right. Although uh, uh, again shifting gears like is is kind of an anachronism right because there aren't any gears but yeah but you could flip Shift it in the reverse accidentally yeah. right or park um so i do think it is a safety but um i've had other cars where they have the sort of lower mounted uh shifter so it's not up in the um controls near the steering wheel it's in this pod below the 
uh, in between the passenger seat and the driver's seat. And I've had others, and it's a really big, clunky button. So you see it. Yeah. And this guy was this tiny little button, maybe the size of a, a, a half of a thumbnail. <laughs> so it was really small. Um, yeah, so I, mean, I drive a VW, which you have to, like, literally push the the gear shift down and pull it towards yourself and jam it forward to get into reverse. So I'm, I'm no uh, stranger to weird transmission interfaces. But, uh, yeah, this, this vexed me. So... Let's talk a little about the interface and UI and software, since we are probably most uh, qualified to talk about the software, <laughs> uh, given we are not professional car reviewers. But um, right, this although is what I, you I get from a tech podcast about Tesla, yeah, and I would definitely say this as a as a pre uh, pre roll caveat here is it's definitely something where um, this is the kind of thing where it's going to seem unfamiliar at first, no matter how good it actually is. Um, and so I think the, the true test of it would be like, you know, if you've driven with it for a week or a month or something, uh, and really got a feel for like things that might seem cool now might really annoy the hell out of you later, or things that might seem crazy and unintuitive now might just totally make sense when you use it every day. So with that said, what did, what did you think of it? So on the hardware side, I thought the, uh, the speedometer style, um, screen was, Pretty high resolution. Um, I thought it was very clear, very bright. This is um, the, the one uh, right behind the steering wheel, right? Right so behind the steering wheel, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought that one was quite bright. It's a single, gen, re relatively large, I think it's eight inches diagonal screen. I had no problem seeing it. Um, I thought all the text on it was very clear, um, definitely clearer than any other vehicle I'd seen separate from a Tesla with a full screen, you know, not having any actual mechanical uh speedometer or rpm meter or anything so that was good from a hardware side um i thought one one interesting thing about that that i thought was weird i actually thought it was a little bit small mm. uh, mostly because they seem to have colored this the right and left sides of it to be a similar color as the screen to kind of create the illusion of it being bigger right and then they yeah. had like a chrome border that went all around like the plastic and the screen so it kind of made it look like it was like a 12 inch screen but it was really like an eight inch screen in, in the yeah. middle it's and definitely then, sort of letterboxed <laughs> yeah and you can see I, I i took a photo of it and one in one of the photos that we'll upload you can see that there are actually like the check engine light and all those things are actually just regular auto dashboard lights embedded in the plastic to the right and left in the right. in the in the letterbox area of, of the thing so i thought that was a little little janky uh but yeah yeah the seatbelt sight yeah i can see the seatbelt sign in one of them uh, one of the photos yeah it's off to the right so they've got sort of the old-fashioned illuminated ones to the side of the slick lcd um or led but uh and then the center the center screen um is 10 inches apparently oh wait actually sorry hold on before we jump into the center one the other thing about the the um what do you call the one that's at the steering wheel the binnacle the binnacle is that that's yeah. a real word that's the official automotive <laughs> term okay well, we'll go with that the the binnacle one was also interesting uh for two reasons uh one it was controlled by a literal d-pad on the steering wheel so yes. on the, like the right arm of the steering wheel like right of the airbag in the center was an actual d-pad and you had an up down right left and an okay button in the middle and that's how you controlled the interface on the binnacle 
Um, and then the binnacle also had three different themes you could pick, which you could you could pick themes, I guess, which kind of changed the color and some of the information. But they it were, was very similar. They were so subtly different. Like <laughs> it was it, like modern and like classic, and then like in oh, what was it? It was like enhanced or something. And he's like, let's keep on enhanced. The only difference I could tell was that one of them had some numbers for the range, and the other one just had the gauges and. I don't know. It was it was extremely subtle, and uh, the dealer was, or the the salesman was was overly excited about this really strange feature. Yeah, I, on the actual UI of it, um, the center is very large white. Um, I felt like it's too bright white. Um, yeah, I wonder. We didn't actually. This was in the middle of the day, uh, right? Right in high noon. So so we were getting like the daytime. Uh, maybe it has like a, yeah, I don't know if it has some sort of like ambient light sensor for, for having a less aggressive mode. Like I can see where this would be blindingly annoying at night. So maybe it has a, a nighttime mode. It also felt like there was a lot of wasted space in the center because the miles per hour is in the top section of this large white circle and we couldn't get anything in the middle. So I'm, I'm wondering if something else is supposed to go below the speed, but they don't have built in maps. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I'm not sure what's to go below there. Maybe that's where they'll eventually put sort of the Tesla style autom like um, autonomous uh, situational awareness. But right now it looked very empty. Um, I guess it was a little bit fun to see when we would push on the accelerator to see this large yellow bar fill up with how much um, uh, energy we power we were using. Um, the range meter on the left was like a gas tank thing, um, but just a vertical bar. Um, it's kind of so an I, error bar thing where it had like a min and a max basically. Yeah. yeah the max and min, uh, that just seemed a little weird. Like what's the min? Like the min is not a hundred. Uh, how could the min not be zero? I don't understand. It, the min had, <laughs> well, these yeah, it numbers. wasn't, it wasn't really max and min. It was mostly, it was error bars on there. Oh yeah, like, that's right. In it's the like center, the, it told you how much you thought it would be. And then it gave you like a high, low estimate. Oh so. man. I didn't even, I didn't even get that while we were driving. I was yeah, just so, like, I mean, what it was, is this? It was weird. Cause it was technically, it was the min max on the estimate, but not the min max on what, I don't know. It was just a little bit weird. It was, it was kind of strangely presented. But then it also fills up and like, so it, it would go, it would deplete. But then the min max is like the entire bar. So it, it didn't, it didn't make sense. Cause I think the, the colored portion is the percentage of the total battery, but then the min max sort of makes it look like the min is the bottom of that bar. So anyways, look at the photos. Um, we, we're going to post them in the show notes. Um, but, and, and again, these are, these are little things too, I, I would say like in the, in the overall scheme of things, um, I think. But, yeah, 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 for sure. I, I don't think um, I don't think there's I don't think there was anything terrible about it. I think the it looked okay and fine. It looked modern. I would definitely say it looked modern. And obviously, they could they could update this in future generations a lot faster um, than they could change like you know what the traditional gauges have been in Chevys. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of skeuomorphism for for what is currently in auto vehicles i think like round it has a round speedometer thing it has essentially the min max is kind of trying to simulate the fuel tank uh empty full um so there's a lot of that and you know it's it's always a little bit um it can be a little harrowing when all of a sudden uh we go from standard hardware gauges which have very real constraints to now it's digital and it can look like anything and who knows maybe there'll be like like uh, the apple watch motion and there'll be like a little butterfly flying away as you as you speed up or something you know because at this point you can really do anything so uh it'll be an interesting it'll be interesting to see how 
the interfaces evolve as they as they become unencumbered by hardware realities. So then you get to the center screen, and I feel like the center screen was definitely more of a mess because we touched the center screen quite a bit, and I still felt like I didn't have a great mental model of how everything was laid out. Um, so again, to Mike's caveat, like I definitely understand that we only interacted with this for maybe 30 minutes. Um, so, uh, you know, take that for what you will. But I wouldn't say it was as easy to poke around as I found, as I find the Tesla interface. And that's just from, I'm not even an owner, just sort of playing with it in the stores and on test drives. I was able to more quickly get to what I want in a Tesla interface than I felt like I could in the Bolt. And I feel like part of it was they had a lot more sub menus in the Bolt. Um, and so you sort of can go into this grid of icons with like media and whatnot, but that wasn't the home screen. So the default screen was this, I don't even know, like I, I can't even remember what the default was, but we ended up hanging out on this sort of charge flow, which reminds me of the early, um, I guess sort of a Prius. Thing yeah, the, where the gamification like, pre with a leaf where you're you're trying to keep the the tree from dying or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So the main mode the salesperson kept wanting us to go back to was this mode of the uh, semi-transparent version of the vehicle with the battery and the wheels turning and seeing the energy flow from the batteries to the motor, from the motor to back to the batteries, and then. Yeah, he was really excited about how that showed the regenerative braking. Like and was, I think that is cool as yeah. a trick to see, like, oh yeah, the, the, I mean, and it's definitely much higher res than the uh the priuses i've driven yeah pre i uh that is sort of an old school lcd thing um but then we the one thing that really stood out to me was that there were a lot of modal message messages that came up did you notice that and yeah. i was like you have to dismiss them and it was very odd right well and you could some of them you could actually like next and previous between the modals and then there was a back button but then there was like three or four global buttons that could always take you to different screens like the the sort of information architecture was was a little bit um scattered i guess a little chaotic it, it was a little confusing yeah. and then they have this interesting inter uh, interesting as a kind word interplay between the ui on the touch bar or the touch screen and the physical controls they've decided to leave as buttons. So they do have AC, temperature, fan as hardware buttons, but you can also control that in the UI in a persistent lower nav. So we had a lot of fun uh, <laughs> trying to get the temperature the right way, and the, and the salesman was in the back telling us what to do. And either there was miscommunication on what he was instructing us to do, or we didn't understand what was happening. And we just couldn't get it into the mode that he thought it should be in. And we just kept turning on and off. Like you could turn on, it was sort of like the three light switch problem. You could turn on, <laughs> you could turn it on from the uh, touchscreen and then ratchet down the fan speed in the physical buttons, which would then turn it off on the touchscreen. And then you turn it back on. And so, yeah, there was like a distinct on off, but then you could also implicitly turn it on and off by turning it up and down like the, yeah. the, the flow or whatever. And I don't even think I touched the temperature button on the, on the screen, but maybe you can do that and adjust it too. So I felt like that was, it's this uncanny valley where we're sort of in between where you can do stuff on the touchscreen, but they decided, oh, we can't fully commit to not having these buttons that people are used to for radio and and for uh, climate control, HVAC. Well, and I can see where that would be useful when you're actually on a different screen. 
Like if you're on a screen that doesn't have the the temperature buttons or no, the... but that was persistent on all of them. Oh, was it? Yeah, I'm looking all the screenshots we took, and it's remembering. Oh, it was right. on the bottom yeah, of yeah. all of it. It was yeah, sort of this, right. it was this dock that was always there, and that giant energy button too. Yeah, you can was, always get back to the energy. Which leave was green. really weird. One uh, of the other screen. Oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was just gonna say also that the one of the the questions I asked too is like none of the it's a single zone um, temperature control. So I, I've which is just pointing out another thing where once you get start getting up into cars like around 40,000 or more, I would kind of expect to have, you know, dual zone temperature control, which, mm -hmm. again, if you have a, a significant other who has a very different idea of what a comfortable driving temperature is, is a very useful thing. Um, but, yeah, this is another one that, that they did not offer in this vehicle. The one screen that really blew my mind was the charging mode screen, mainly from the amount of information it had on it. So they had like... A regular mode of charging and a, an amperage limit and then you could do immediate or set a departure time for when you want to leave and then there was a priority charging toggle and then there was a more button and then there was an electric rate preference button that was disabled and then there was a temporary override uh toggle or like a tab it threw up a modal when you tried to get out of that too yeah and then it was like do you want to keep this forever yes no and i was like i don't i don't know what i should click here um, I thought the charge limit was really weird. That didn't make sense to me. I thought that was, I, I, that just seemed weird. Like I, I, I would have thought the car would just kind of take whatever power could come in and then the, the charger would be the thing that would say, I can give you this much power. Like I thought it was weird that you would actually limit, uh, of the vehicle itself, but I guess yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, I, I understand some people want to charge at night when maybe their electric rates are lower um, and that maybe they have a, not a, not a house with a ton of ability to, maybe they're like running their washing machine and they don't have that big of a panel. So they want to make sure they use yeah. less amperage. Oh but. yeah, no, I, I should say, I understand the, the, um, usefulness of having some sort of limit to the charging, but I think of that as a function of the charger, not of the thing that's being charged. Sure. Yeah. The fact that you would have to know that as a consumer is a little bit tricky, but yeah, I thought that was odd. That screen was pretty pretty information rich and not uh super good the other one i found just funny was they have an energy usage score screen <laughs> and it has it has uh, ratings for your technique the terrain the climate settings and outside temperature and they've got a midpoint uh which is a red dotted line and then they show you above and below the line which which factors contributed to your energy usage and then they give you the score which they don't explain it, um, it wasn't like zero to one or one to a hundred yeah it was like minus two point one <laughs> point nine and our score was minus 1.3 it's like uh, it was okay. like there was a meeting somewhere and they're like gamification like people will drive well if we do some gamification so let's give them a score yeah and the technique one was funny <laughs> Just, the phrase is funny i thought um, the terrain one was kind of funny does that mean there's like some sort of like gyroscope in the car that's sensing like hills or something or is it just inferring it based on i don't know that seemed weird i mean they do have motion units in the car for uh for g's um mm. so they may be able to tell if you're actually going up a hill or not but um i found that that screen was particularly funny to me um yeah i thought a lot of the screens were there was just a lot of information there and i don't think I mean, and I should say, like, you know, having like worked on projects, you know, something like this, like in apps or online, uh, it's really, really difficult to display information in a way that is like actionable and sensible. And this whole idea of like information architecture and, you know, trying to display the only the important things and 
it's it's really it's really challenging. So I I don't um kind of I understand why why this might be looking like this, but it's it it definitely needs some more revs. We're definitely the most super persnickety about this. I mean, this is what we do every day is design software um, projects, and so I I don't uh, begrudge them in a they should have been able to do this better, but I wish they could have. Um, and it, it isn't um, it isn't terrible. It's not the worst I've used. I think what what it feels like to me is that it was it has a sort of design by committee feel to it, where there wasn't like one single person or group that was in charge of this whole thing. I feel like it it has the feel of every single different screen having a different team that was in charge of it. And maybe everyone's kind of competing to put stuff on the home screen. And it all that just kind of ends with this sort of chaotic, like weird thing where there isn't an organized like theme going through all of it. Yeah. And so I would say that that uh, the UI was okay. Apparently it has CarPlay and Android Auto. We didn't bring a, a charging cable with us. It was you needed to bring a USB a lightning cable. Yeah, it did um, not so have wireless. It did not have the wireless version, which apparently is now available. Um, so talking about the rear view camera, rear view mirror, I would say um, before we get to the driving dynamics and then a summary, I would say that my favorite feature of the car was a rear view mirror. I would agree. Because it's something I've never seen before in a real car. I've never driven a car with a camera in as the rearview mirror. I would say that the LCD itself was good enough to be transparent to me. Like I didn't notice that it was a uh, display right. uh, in there. I didn't have major glare problems once I adjusted it. So it was easy enough to get it so that there wasn't glare, even though it was a screen. And the field of view was phenomenal. I mean... It was a totally different experience being able to see the road to car component versus the sort of um, shoulder up version of all the cars behind you and seeing all the stuff in the car, you know, bleeding through the mirror. Yeah, it was kind of the closest you could possibly imagine to just sitting on the rear bumper of the car and looking backwards. Yeah, and I didn't have any faux motion sickness or like weird parallax where you'd be like, oh, that's that's not what I'm expecting to see. And it had a really great field of view. And I, I did check today to find out what it was. So apparently the traditional rear view mirror that they would have in most Chevys was 20 degree uh, field of view. And this thing has 80 degrees. And it was definitely clear because when you would see a car come up in the in the camera version, almost to the point where it would disappear, you could then see it in your side view. Um, so it it almost was a blind spot eliminator as well. So I was a really big fan of that. And I would love to see that come to Tesla's because I think it's just a really great, uh, feature and well executed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was probably the, the most well done, um, interface element in the vehicle. And the other thing that I thought I I will echo everything you just said. And the, the one, uh, final thing I'll add is I thought that sometimes with like wide angle cameras, you, you get like kind of a fisheye effect, whereas, things get to the edges they'll get kind of rounded and distorted and this was completely flat it was like looking i mean if you're a photographer it was like having a 50 millimeter prime on your on your 35 millimeter camera it was just a perfect view nothing was distorted uh all the way to the edges uh it was it was really nice it was it was really uh like i said i i thought it would be really gimmicky when we first sat in the vehicle and then as soon as I got going and adjusted it, I was like, this is amazing. This is so great. I don't have to worry about the people sitting in the back and seeing around their heads. I don't have to worry about stuff that's piled in the back. I don't have to worry about the C pillars blocking me at all. It was just, it was perfect. It was like a perfect view uh, from the vehicle, behind the vehicle. It was great. 
And the other thing is engaging it was super simple because the flip uh, uh, sort of, I don't know, switch on most mirrors that you would use at nighttime uh, to switch from sort of, I guess, lower intensity is what engages it. Yeah. So there was no UI. You have to like press a button on the steering wheel or fiddle with anything in the screen. It was just flip it. And so they nailed the UI by basically making no UI, uh, which is usually the best way to do it if you can. So it was easy to get rid of if you wanted just the regular mirror and the mirror performed fine. Um, And so I used it on most of the time and I think I would use it most of the time. So really, really pleasantly surprised. And I wasn't even expecting that going into it. Um, So yeah, that was a total surprise. The only thing I would want to do is try it at night, Um, mostly just because tiny little CCD cameras don't necessarily have the best uh, resolution at night. So depending on what kind of sensor they're using in there, it, it might not be nearly as useful at night, or you might just see like the bright headlights uh, and not the vehicles themselves. So yeah. speaking of cameras, I guess the other thing that was new to me, but I know isn't new to the automotive world is the backup camera um, <laughs> feature, as well as sort of the projecting of uh, lanes of what you're going to where the car is going, as well as sort of detection uh, of objects. And then a sort of, I know this is on BMWs and I know it's on other vehicles too, but it's sort of 3D bird's eye view, uh, panoramic stitched together composite of your vehicle and what's around it. And so the Chevy Bolt has both of those when you're in reverse, two thirds of the screen or maybe three quarters of the screen is the rear view camera with the, the lane um, with sort of green, orangish and red and then this sort of composite top-down view and i thought it worked pretty well um it was impressive um i didn't do too many backup maneuvers in the test drive so i can't speak to sort of my mental mapping of steering angle to what the screen was showing um but it definitely looked pretty cool oh Um, interesting we have our first difference of opinion here yeah, I thought it, I thought it looked pretty neat. Um, so I don't I don't know how well how much I would use use the top down view thing. I just thought it was pretty neat that you could mesh those cameras together and have it uh, make something seemingly pretty realistic looking. So oh, see, I thought so. Now where the rear view mirror was using a, a flat lens that didn't distort at all. I mean the the way they had positioned their cameras, they were doing an awful lot of distortion to to generate it and you could even see the seams where the different cameras were being joined That's together. True. Um, I thought that it was really janky and I probably wouldn't have even bothered shipping it. Um, oh, wow. unless you could have done it better. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe I, I didn't really get any use out of it. So it's, if it's really just going to be more of a gee whiz neat thing, it, it can't look janky like that. Um, and then the, just the other thing in general, the, the, the weirdest part to me was that the, so the backup camera, uh, and this interface that we're talking about, where, where Caleb mentioned it was like one third and two thirds, kind of like a split view on the iPad, um, was on the center console. And the center console, when you're using it previously, is high resolution. Um, it's a very nice looking screen. And then when you switch into this mode, it's like all of a sudden you've started playing a VHS tape or something. Like the 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 resolution of the backup camera is extremely low. It's washed out. It looks like a cheap security camera footage. Mm-hmm. And then the strangest part is that there are three interface buttons pro- projected on the screen, um, like UI elements that you can tap and um, toggle on and off the different overlays, that, like, you know, where you're going to be going. Um, there's some sort of like it, it tells you when when something's like, I think, two feet from your vehicle. 
Um, so there's a couple of different like overlays that go on the screen and the UI inter interfaces for them are a completely different kind of UI interface. They're really, really low res. They look like everything is fuzzy. It kind of looks like everything is like a VGA resolution screen kind of blown up. And I thought it was just the strangest experience. It's like there's some sort of like old like Commodore 64 in the back that's controlling this. And somehow there's it, like there's like a NTSC connection or, or or maybe even, you know what it even looks like is when you used to get um, back in the early, early days of backup cameras, they would actually just have like a radio broadcast up to the front because you would just plug it in the back and you would it would just broadcast through some sort of like short short distance radio signal and you just had this like television transmission coming through with like rabbit ears and it kind of looked like that it was it was so jarring when it switched from the energy flowing in this high resolution 3D transparent thing of the car to the backup camera which all of a sudden looked like you were in 1992 so i guess my bet is this must be a shared technology from their other cars uh and probably the similar UI and that they must have just ported it because I, I didn't, it didn't stick out to me the same way it did to you. Um, there's, and to be, to, to be fair too, there's, there's a, definitely a couple of clear photos of it. And I'm pretty sure I got a, a clear enough photo where, especially if you look at the buttons below, you can see how sharp the text is on the hardware buttons. And then you look up to the screen and it's just blurry, blurry pixels that it doesn't even look like they're kind of, 2x so you might have just yeah. like blocky pixels it looks like they're kind of blown up to like two and a half or three and a half x so they're kind of blurring beyond like across pixel boundaries it's just really really ugly which lends even more sort of evidence of potentially that this month like yeah the uh warning signal the the eye or the the exclamation point um i think is probably the clearest indicator that yeah the graphics for that are not vector like they they're they're jaggy as all get up um and it's jarring because as soon as you put it in reverse it switches from the like really clear like crisp modern ui into this it's it's really really it's a weird experience so let's talk about the performance and the driving because i think a lot of people are curious how it drives coming especially tesla fans um oh i just actually one more thing oh sure the one more thing about the interface um the other thing that it was very different from tesla in um color scheme as well like this yeah. had very much it was more not pastel-y um but saturate bright colors primary yeah and primary it was, yeah it was like sky blue and bright bright green and it, it it kind of and it was like a really flat ui so it was almost like windows 2000 compared to tesla's kind of ios 6 skeuomorphic thing that they have going on uh and i yeah i just thought it was it had very much more of a windows pc look to it yeah, and also an interesting mix of all caps and low caps and thick thick stroke fonts and non and like it was all over the place. Light it on dark a, and dark on light and yeah, yeah. It definitely had a Windowsy feel um, to it. Like yeah, just a lot more brightness, but also not and 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 then yeah, some of the etched like the bottom part of the UI is this etched skeuomorphic button thing, which is supposed to look like physical buttons, and they even have like little LED. Yeah. things in it <laughs> the on so the on light yeah. and off light yeah. on lights yeah and like the circulation but also if you notice like the car recirculation icon that's showing like a sedan like why didn't they use a chevy bolt size like oh i didn't even catch that yeah it's so right. it it's sort of weird um anyways it that was yeah it's it's not a fully unified design for sure yeah um, and it's certainly something they can iterate on but it it i don't know it's very difficult to kind of get a coherent 
uh, sort of holistic feel to an interface and system like this. So I'm, I'm not terribly optimistic, but I, I, I'm sure they'll make some improvements. So you drove first, um, yes. and we, you, you pulled out from a parking lot. So walk me through and the listeners through sort of what, what our course and journey was and sort of what you felt like driving this vehicle. Yeah, so we pulled into, before we even got in, like when our, our dealer was, or our dealer, our salesman, I guess. Salesperson, yeah. Yeah, our sales associate uh, was actually still piloting the vehicle. Um, we got to this small parking lot. So it wasn't like a Walmart parking lot. It was like, you know, maybe one lane going through and, and parking on either side. And um, he, before he pulled into a spot, he did donuts in the, essentially in the, yeah, in the parking did. lot where he wanted to show off the turning radius, but he didn't explicitly say that. He was kind of trying to show it off. Um, but I think we were both driving German vehicles, so we were very accustomed to having a very tight turning radius, but he was... Yeah, I was like, what's happening here? This he, isn't that impressive. This was like the most thrilling thing in the world to him. So yeah, we were just like spinning around and it really did have a... A tight turning radius, but I mean, it yeah, I mean, a, it was a circle. It was a tight circle in yeah. a normal parking lot. It was. It has a wide wheelbase, so it's going to have yeah. a, a nicer turning radius. Um, but yeah, anyway, so after we got through, and, and and it's a small car. I mean, it's not a big car. It's not an SUV. I mean, I'd be much more impressed if this was like a Chevy Tahoe or something. I mean, this is a <laughs> relatively small car. I would expect it to have a good turning. I I don't know. Did that seem impressive to you? The turning radius of this no, thing. I was did, just wondering what was going on. This we were like five minutes. We did in like at this three point. loops. Like, this is going to be a long day. Yeah, we did like three loops and he's like i i do this so much i get sick it was funny <laughs> yeah he seemed way too excited about it he was excited anyways um yeah so we we took off um i thought um we didn't once I, you got it in gear yeah it, it took me a while and uh, some assistance to get it in gear um got it moving i played with the um different regenerative braking and the paddle braking um uh, and then we got on to um the freeway um we were on 101 here well a, wait hold on go back was, there was a two-lane road right exiting this parking lot and we're near an airfield so it's a pretty limited oh, access no wait, you're skipping ahead that, that was where we switched oh right right okay right. Sorry. yeah so we were just starting um and we were getting on 101 um and yeah so this is uh usually it's a traffic clogged freeway but this was in the middle of the day on a saturday so we actually had some some room to accelerate and having been through the the tesla test drive where they want you to slow down as much as possible like i got on the on-ramp there was no one behind me so i slowed down quite a bit yeah. and then just completely floored it and it was in sport mode too which i guess we can get into a little bit later what in uh, any sort of difference that might make um but yeah i floored it and it was it was much better uh, acceleration than uh, any similar type vehicle, um, any sort of similar hatchback type vehicle. I mean, unless you're getting into like some sort of like R uh, GTI or something or, or a, an S3. Um, I don't know. Unless you're getting into like really, really um, expensive vehicles, it, it was very, very nice acceleration. It was very controlled while accelerating. Um, so it was accelerating very quickly, but it wasn't wobbling around. It felt mm -hmm. very secure. Um, I guess I would say like the handling, the handling, both the acceleration and handling were great. Uh, they weren't ludicrous, um, which you, you know, nope. having, having driven the Model X in ludicrous mode, it was definitely not ludicrous. It was quick, um, but it didn't feel dangerous at all. Like I felt when I was accelerating the, the Model X, flooring it in ludicrous <laughs> mode, it actually felt kind of dangerous. Like I, I did not feel like I was 100%, uh, not that the vehicle was jumping around, but I was just moving too fast for my, my human reflexes and my, you know, once a fortnight driving skills. Um, so anyways, yeah. I mean, you punched it and I w wasn't shocked. 
uh, when I was in the Model X, everyone in the car was shocked. Yeah, my cheeks didn't pull back, um, but it was it was fast. It definitely had more of a. So the the interesting thing about the the Model X, um, and I'm, I'll assume the Model S as well, is like the acceleration almost felt completely linear, where like it was accelerating exactly as much when you started as to when I stopped accelerating. So it was right. just constant acceleration. Zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, all the same, just like on a rail. Yeah, which was going. a really bizarre experience, especially coming from someone who drives a manual transmission where there's always like a little buck, you know, no matter how much you're, how quick you are with the clutch, you're still going to, there's going to be a shifting of gears. Um, and even with an automatic transmission, you, you get some of it, uh, and then you'll just have different power bands with the, with the internal combustion engine. And the, it would, the, the, the Tesla is just so amazing because it's so linear. It's just constant acceleration <laughs> or, I mean, I guess like, yeah, constant acceleration and your velocity just increases linearly. Um, or no, wait, well, anyways, we won't get into the, 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 the bad math there, but, um, yeah. So anyways, the bolt, it definitely had more of a certain, it felt like there was a curve to the acceleration where, um, it, it had some immediate punch, like it was definitely quick. Um, and it definitely had acceleration like all throughout the range. Like even when we were going like on freeway speeds, it could still like punch ahead. Um, uh, but it definitely had that feeling where like it was kind of getting going where it was like, Oh, we got, we got a good jump. We got a torquey takeoff and then, Oh, it got a little more power. And then it's kind of like kind of tapered off and then a little more power, not in a jerky way, but just, it didn't feel, it didn't have that same sort of rocket launch that the Tesla <laughs> feel that the Tesla has. Yeah. That was, uh, speaking of the acceleration and then we'll jump back to your talking through more of it. I had a similar f- vibe that it, it definitely, um, so I've, I've test driven the, the leaf, um, and the, I've driven an I three briefly and then the model S and the model X, both P 90 D's. Um, and it was definitely very quick acceleration. Um, it had the nice quiet, um, like hum wine acceleration, uh, very smooth. Oh yeah. Uh, you shut off all the fans too. So we, we would hear it and it was like totally silent. Yeah, it was great. So from that point of view, it is a it is an EV for sure. Uh has the benefits of the torquiness and quick acceleration. I definitely felt like the lower speed from like 0 to 30, 0 to 40 was very impressive, and then once it got to like the 40ish range, it definitely started fading um from its its ability to keep up and so um but but yeah, that initial sort of burst is it was definitely fun. Um the yeah, hitting the pedal all the way to the floor. It didn't have that instantaneous like takeoff like the Tesla did where you get thrown back. <laughs> so obviously it's not as intense. Um, so it's not as if it's as intense, but just doesn't get there as quickly. It, it is reduced overall. Um, but definitely for this class of size vehicle, like I've driven Priuses and Yaris's, like those don't go anywhere. So you know, and also to, to Mike's point, it was definitely well, well grounded, um, and felt solid. I mean, we got some little tire spin in a couple little bits, but, um, <laughs> just sort of doing a launch on an on-ramp was great. Um, so I was very happy with that and it felt good. Yeah. The cornering, like we went plowing into a couple of corners. Um, like it was just fun to drive. I mean, I think that would be the best way I would describe it. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was just more fun to drive than any other Partly because of the acceleration, partly because of the handling, um, partly because of the just the the visibility was great. It had great sight lines. You could see all around you. You sat up pretty high, 
had pretty big glass all around. It had like you pointed out the little uh, a, a pillar triangle glass as well. Big side windows. Uh, it, was, it had great uh, acceleration. The, the lateral support on the seat was great as we were going around corners. Um, it was yeah. It was just it was very enjoyable to drive. Far more so than most hatchbacks. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, we we got off the highway and then we got to a uh, an airfield and uh, we're on sort of some back a back road entering the airfield parking lot and there was a big um, sort of uh, quarter turn ninety de- I don't know what was it maybe a eighty degree seventy degree turn yeah it might um, be, it was a hard left um, it was a pretty hard left and, and, and the, the salesman would not let me drag race the Tesla which I thought no. was pretty uncool but yeah. yeah he was he was a little nervous about it he. He later afterwards told us that most people don't actually punch it when they ask them to. So <laughs> he was impressed and happy that we were both happy to push the accelerator hard and take these corners. So, I mean, we got some tire squeech- screeching going into these corners to the point yeah. where we did it once and we there was a car in front of us, in, in front of Mike. And so he's like, <laughs> eh, I want to do it again. So Mike went back and did the I did corner a three point again. turn in the middle of the road. Yeah. Just went and back. The, and the, the guy was like, what, did, what are you doing? I just want to try it again. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, I think I was coming into that corner at like 50 miles an hour. And yeah, I was a little like worried when you hit it. I, oh. I, was, I was thinking you were going to slow down. You didn't. I was like grabbing the handle the whole time. No, I, I hit it pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I definitely heard some tire screeching going into that, into that corner. But to, but awesome having such a heavy battery on the ground like there was no feeling we were going to tip over <laughs> right. or anything it, like that it wasn't uh, i think the word is splashy like splashy like the the, the suspension was pretty tight because i mean obviously the batteries are going to hold you uh with the low center gravity but it had a pretty good suspension going too um and it didn't there wasn't much roll as you're going around i mean i'm certainly not sophisticated enough to be able to talk about like understeer or oversteer or anything but it was it, it went where i wanted it to uh it seemed and it it yeah, it performed very well. It was fun. I yeah. totally agree. It was fun. I would I would be happy to take this road or sorry, take this car on the windies uh or take it through sort of La Honda, which is a or over to like Route 1 or something. I think it would just be a really fun fun car to drive around. So, yeah. Um I mean, I don't have any other major notes from our test drive. Um I'm sure there'll be people who have other questions, but um I think the so I, the sport mode was one that I, I was a little bit confused by that. I couldn't really tell. There wasn't much discernible difference. And our salesman didn't know if the, if it was just uh, affecting like rate of of burn, I guess, of how much power you're using, or if it was also affecting like suspensions. I'm going to assume that it doesn't have any sort of like tweakable suspension. No, so. they were coil suspension. I don't think it had. I don't, maybe the dampeners, but I, it didn't. It didn't feel like it lowered or anything. I thought it was interesting that it didn't have a spare tire because uh, it has run flat tires. Um, and then like one of the screens showed you like the tire pressure on all your uh, tires, which I think is pretty kind of neat. Um, I don't know how common that is, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, no spare was interesting. There was a can there was a can of foam, I guess, if you needed to fill up your run flat tire. No front trunk. A lot of stuff in the trunk in the front. Yeah, no frunk. I thought it. Well, you know what? I I'm not surprised by that. And I thought the there was a lot of reaction on Twitter when you posted that. That that was uh, yeah. There were a lot because of it was saying, like being retrofit. And for, to my understanding, it's not a retrofitted platform. Like this is a, a ground up platform for EV. Um, and I think the the difference is essentially it's this is like almost half the length of a Tesla. A Tesla is a really big vehicle, and this was a really really small vehicle. And there's just nowhere else to put that stuff, especially if you want it to be accessible, right? Like you need to service that. You need to check those connections or fill up the fluids. Um, I'm not sure what all the different little fluid can, they were like 
what, a lot of fluid five or containers. six different fluid containers i'm not sure what they were all for well and uh, it's a front wheel drive car so they have the motor there and i just don't think it's as um i mean there's just not much overhang for the car for the wheel the, the motor to be near the uh, axles right um, so all that's in the front component um, yeah and if you look at the front of a tesla it's long and the front actually you could actually the frunk is you could chop it off yeah and literally like what's behind the frunk is that exact stuff that that we were looking at in the uh, like if you ever look at pictures of people opening up this the space behind the frunk like between the frunk and the compartment it's that same stuff there's like fluids and there's electrical components and stuff uh, so it's exactly the same thing it's just this car is so short that that's just the frunk is just removed yeah, so I, I don't I don't think it was as bad as some people were claiming that oh Chevy's just being old. No, um, no, not at all. And I mean the storage in the back was was quite good. I thought it was a little bit unfortunate that the it didn't fold flat. So you didn't actually when you, when you folded the back seats there was like six inches of of seat that was still sticking up. So you had sort of a two tiered storage area in the back. Um, but still quite a bit of storage. But yeah, and there was a there was a sort of a false bottom floor that you could get another maybe eight or ten inches down of depth in sort of a I don't right. know, maybe eight or ten inches deep as well. So yeah, although um, that's the the lower one, so that would create even more of a, a drop off from the from the seats that can't go any lower. Yeah, I guess if, if you had like a, some some IKEA packages that you could stand vertically, uh, you could potentially put those in there or a lamp or something. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was a very good utilitarian. Um, or useful, maybe utilitarian sounds like sparse, but it, it seemed useful. Yeah. So I would say that after test driving it, it definitely makes me want to try it again. Like I, today I was like, oh, I kind of want to go back and drive it again for longer. Cause I, I just didn't really get a super good feel yet. And I kind of want to push it a little bit more or drive on some different types of roads. So I didn't feel that way with the leaf. I was like, oh, I get it. It's not not a fun car, really. Just sort of super utilitarian, to use that term again. So I, I definitely had a little bit more excitement about uh, the car itself. I feel like it's going to sell well. I think a lot of people trust the Chevy, the Chevrolet GM brand uh, from the number of people who were test driving it and the number of cars that seem to be pre-sold. It seems to be selling really well. Uh, <laughs> well, we're in a bubble here, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it should sell really well here. Like, it would be a problem if it wasn't selling that well here. Um, and it seems to be doing pretty well. Um, obviously, we were driving a really tiny distance, but I didn't think about how well charged it was. I think it had, I don't know, 150 miles of charge left when we got in it and didn't really notice anything. But <laughs> I don't know. There seemed to be a lot of confusion around uh, the charging situation at the dealership. Yeah, he did. Uh, they did not seem to have a really great training program in place for folks about it so that might be a limiting factor yeah early days um but i would say that it is the best ev i've driven separate from a tesla so i think it's probably number two uh so if anyone wants a Tesla, wants an ev but doesn't want a tesla this would be a car uh to get and i think the only challenge is that the model three will be coming in some time period, hopefully seven or eight months, not a year and a half or two years. But if the Tesla gets really farly delayed, uh, I could see a lot of people legitimately wanting to get this thing. Um, I don't think it has nearly as many trade-offs as people, uh, you know, fanboys may have wanted it to have. I mean, after actually driving it, I'm like, well, it's pretty good. I, I don't love the shape of it. I don't love the looks of it. The UI has problems. There's plenty of warts. Um, 
but it is more fun and exciting and just pleasant than I was anticipating. Yeah, I would say if, if I was interested in getting a Model 3, but I needed a vehicle now, um, whether you know my lease was up on another vehicle or, or if I needed a vehicle now, um, I would highly recommend or you know maybe maybe highly recommend is not the right word i would wholeheartedly uh recommend uh getting the bolt on like a two-year lease or something and then getting the model three afterwards if i was if i didn't like the bolt um i thought it seemed yeah it seemed like a a pretty good attempt for right now right like it's 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 it exists right now um you can get it and you know the model three might be who knows like maybe it's shipping by the end of 2017 but it might take a while to get one if you decided now to to put in a reservation um yeah i thought i mean i thought the the interesting part um about it uh, the the weird part about it i guess is that you know you're getting up into the price range of like a 3 series bmw um and uh this is a very um there's not many frills in this vehicle like all of the frills are essentially the propulsion technology uh, basically, you know, you're paying for the battery and the advanced, like, you know, electric motors and all of this stuff. And you're not getting things like dual zone climate control or automatic seats, or, I mean, even like any sort of, I mean, my cheap Volkswagen has, uh, vents underneath the seats that give air to the people in the back. And this, this didn't have that. Um, so, you know, all of these things that, um, I would say that you take for granted in a price class below where this is don't exist in this vehicle and all of that money is going towards the actual you know newness of the the ev aspects of it um so as long as you're fine with that uh yeah it seems it i i certainly wouldn't uh i i would get one if i was in the market for getting a vehicle yeah i would say obviously there'll be people who are like oh it doesn't have long range a, a really good long range solution and that's true i mean it does have dc fast charging as an option and so you'd have to use some of the the dc fast charging that's starting to sprout up around the country and around the world um so there's limitations there it's only currently available in california and oregon and will slowly be turning on to more states throughout the year um but if you're at all interested i would definitely see if your local dealership has one uh and go do a test drive because i think it's it'd be really great to do a test drive and um, if anyone in your family or people are thinking about one, I wouldn't dissuade them from giving it a shot. Um, because I do think it's good, but I do think you're exactly right. Like you can see where the resources were allocated and they were clearly allocated to the propulsion system. And, you know, 6.5 seconds, zero to 60 is, is definitely in the same class as a low end three series or a four. So performance wise, if you're looking for raw performance, um, it, it's not that far off from one of those entry-level vehicles. And, and even the Model 3 is going to be at like just under six seconds. So um, the Model 3 isn't going to be that much quicker uh, than the Bolt. It, it'll be a little bit quicker, um, but not not many seconds. I mean, I think like the uh, the Prius is like in the 9 to 10 or 11 seconds, 0 to 60. So it's it's a totally different level of performance than most compact cars for sure but to your point it's not in that price range either so it's, it's a really it's a really tricky one to sort of recommend so i would just say go try it and see if you like it yeah i would say that as far as the performance goes it seemed like it was as much as i would want for the type of driving i do um i having the ludicrous acceleration on a tesla isn't all that useful for me when i'm doing like city driving and running errands and being stuck in traffic like you know i 
I don't necessarily understand like people who have who who put all this focus on vehicles like that because unless you're taking them to the tracks all the time or like driving illegally, like you're never really going to use all that. Um, as long you basically want to know like if I want to pass someone that I'm going to have that acceleration there. If I need to get an on ramp quickly and get on the highway quickly, I can do that. And this checks all those boxes. It in and it handles well, which is I think probably more of a useful thing and more yeah more more impactful to my daily experience um so yeah i think it has all of the performance that i would want or need uh, in in my use case so coming into it i was curious about the, the bolt but not super high expectations i would say it surpassed my expectations and i was pleasantly surprised with how it performed um and yeah i mean i am uh a uh um bolt supporter now like i'm happy that it's there i'm going to be tracking it more i'm, I'm going to be curious about its sales curious to hear what's going to come out for the next model year and hope they can keep hope they get enough that they keep investing in it it sounds like chevy is going to keep using this as sort of a new platform for their evs that it's going to be the, the car that they really sell to lift for their ride sharing and for their autonomous uh work so yeah, i i think uh this is going to be a really valuable and important car going forward so um, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I, I think like exceeding expectations, pleasantly surprised is, is probably the best way to describe it for me as well. Um, I think that my concerns about it would be sort of the, the ongoing like build quality, uh, like how well these like kind of cheap feeling plastics hold up, um, how well, you know, do, do things just start kind of breaking on, on the surface level, um, type stuff. And then what, Chevy's support going forward for this, given it's how small it is of their current, how small of a part of their current uh, business it is. Uh, talking about like dedicating resources to iterating on these screens and making things better. Like how are their updates going to go out? Um, are they going to, is it just going to be like frozen in amber um, that the car you bought is the car you get much like all of their other vehicles? I would say yes. Um, or yeah. I don't think it's going to get software updates. Yeah. So I, I, those would be things to consider. Um, but I mean, as it is, I mean, unless there's anything that, that, that jumps out, uh, with repeated use, it, it seems like, yeah, it seems like it would be a good, certainly a, to take like a sort of a two year lease chance on. Yeah. I would, I would definitely push people to try the lease if they are comfortable with that, since I, I definitely think that this is a car that's going to be updated and not necessarily one you'd want to own from the beginning, um, being the very first one. And uh, I hope the I hope uh, some like ride sharing services and others pick it up because I would love to use it for an extended period of time uh, around here just to keep keep trying it. So I think we did a pretty good. I think this might be one of our longest episodes yet, and it's not about Tesla, so that's really funny. Oh, wow. um, so <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if anyone has any other thoughts or has done a test drive or is curious or has questions for us about uh, the the things we didn't cover um, that we might have missed that we could share. Um, where can they get in, get in touch with us, Mike? Yeah, so uh, you can uh, tweet at us at the Tesla Show on twitter.com. Uh, we have a website where we post our episodes, theteslashow.com. Um, uh, Caleb will also be posting uh, all the photos uh, and maybe some videos from the test drive uh, there, so you can peruse those as well. Uh, and we will have a subreddit, which will have the episode and probably also the photos at r slash uh, the Tesla show. And in the photos, Mike and I are both wearing flannel. It was unanticipated, uh, so it may be difficult <laughs> to tell us apart. But uh, I have blue jeans on and Mike has 
khakis. And so it, it's if you're interested, it's been unseasonably cold here. The, therefore, we the New Englanders had to break out the flannel. We only get a couple chances a year. I got to try. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later, Mike. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye.